Greetings and welcome to HBNA's podcast corner, episode 17, Hospice and Palliative Care Leadership, Advocacy and Action, with our guest, Claire Kamel and Dr. Jessica Goggin. Greetings and welcome to HBNA's podcast corner. Again, we thank you for being here and joining us today. And I'd like to take a brief introduction for our guest. Claire serves as a government affairs analyst in the public policy and government affairs group at Bryan Cave. And she's joining us today from Washington, D.C. And Claire brings more than eight years of congressional experience to her role at Brian Cave. She provides strategic advice to HPNA and HPNF and HBCC on government policy, analyzes legislation, and interfaces directly with congressional offices on hospice and palliative care and other healthcare-related topics. So thank you, Claire, and welcome today. We appreciate you being here. And Thank you for Je- having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very much looking forward to this. It's going to be great. We really appreciate your insight. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time out from your busy day. And our second guest today is Dr. Jessica Goggin. Jessica Goggin holds her PhD in palliative care and is the Director of Pulmonary Services at University of California, San Diego Health. She's a national expert in clinical management of cystic fibrosis and as a researcher in palliative care, bioethics, and healthcare advocacy. Jessica's day-to-day life takes her advocacy role across not only the institutional setting, but to the local, state, and national levels to support evidence-based practice in palliative care. In addition, Jessica has served on HPNA's Advocacy Advisory Council since 2013, in addition to her clinical and academic roles. And Jessica, we are so thrilled that you were joining us all the way from San Diego, California. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I look forward to it. It's going to be a great podcast. In today's episode, we invite Claire and Jessica to share with us insight into the role of the nurse and the role of the nurse leader in palliative care advocacy, as well as hospice. And that'll help us see how we as nurses and nurse leaders can lead the way in addressing support for advancing care of patients and families with serious illness. And we really look forward to hearing more about your roles, as well as opportunities you see for nurses to be able to take on the charge of becoming better advocates. And so with that, I'd like to invite Claire to tell us a little bit more about your position And from there, we will go into a couple of different topics on legislation and advocacy at the national level and nurses supporting impact of efforts in DC, as well as what we can do across HPNA, HPCC, and HPNF um, to help advance our advocacy efforts. So Claire, could you get us started? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And and thanks again for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, As you were introducing Jessica, I was thinking to myself how excited I am to be doing this with her today, because as um, advocacy and public policy experts in DC, it's always so much easier when we can do things with hands-on nurses and people in the field. And then I realized that that's what this whole podcast was about. So I think we're all in the right place. Um, as Julie said, my name is Claire Kamal. I'm, I'm here in Washington, DC. Uh, I work as a uh, consultant, if you will, for HPNA. Uh, We work in all realms of public policy, both on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C., and it's just my my favorite thing to do. I love my job. I love uh, being here in Washington, D.C., 
Uh, prior to working here at Brian Cave Lane Paisner, I worked on Capitol Hill um, for about just under a decade. Uh, my last boss on the Hill was a wonderful woman and a great uh, nurse advocate uh, named uh, Congresswoman Doris Matsui, who is uh, still serving uh, in Congress and doing some really important things in the healthcare realm. Uh, prior to that and how I became first involved in, in nurse uh, advocacy and public policy, I worked for um, a congresswoman from the state of California as well, not Doris, but a, another one who was actually a registered nurse named Lois Caps, And she was kind of the um, go-to for all things nursing on Capitol Hill and, and still is kind of thought to be the gold standard for how, uh, how nursing legislation is made. So it was, a, it was a pleasure to work for her. And I always really liked the work that I did and, and, and that she did really. Uh, so yes, again, thank you so much for having me and I'm, uh, hopefully we can be of help and um, in getting people involved in their local state federal government and, and have them more comfortable um, being nurse advocates and nurse leaders. Well, Claire, that's a great overview of, <laughs> I appreciate your contributions that you've done uh, in helping us advance our nursing profession. And, you know, to have a career in nursing advocacy is, uh, is very much appreciated by us and all of our members. So thank you very much. And I'll that. say you all make it very, my job very easy because there, there are no better people in this world than nurses and especially hospice and palliative nurses you all are extraordinarily special people and i and i learn more from you every single day so thank you thank you claire i appreciate that from from all of us out there in the field so let's talk a minute about current legislation what's going on today that, that's out there that we need to be focusing and aware of and how can we get more yeah. information about so Anyone who has done anything in the palliative or hospice realm in, in DC or in your states will be familiar with a bill that we all uh, lovingly refer to as Pachita. Um, and that is the Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act. And uh, a friend of mine on Capitol Hill said I should just have that tattooed to my forehead because every time <laughs> I go up the hill, I'm again, talking about Pachita. Uh, Pachita is kind of the go-to bill for all things palliative and hospice care. Uh, we like to use the acronym EAR, which uh, when, we're, when we're going into Capitol Hill offices, which stands for Education, Awareness, and Research. And what Pachita would do would, would be to uh, fund a government program uh, that both increases the number of palliative care professionals in the field, but then also promotes education and awareness in the field of uh, palliative and hospice care. Uh, and it is also a really great example of a reason why you can't give up on legislation. Um, Pachita, and this is not uncommon for, for most bills, we've all seen the schoolhouse rock version of, you know, Bill on Capitol Hill. Pachita was introduced over 10 years ago and we're still working on it. So uh, politics obviously is not for the faint of heart, but really you have to be in it for the long run. It's not some, you know, everybody in a perfect world would 
if they had an issue, they would go tell their congressperson about it and that congressperson would write a bill and the bill would be signed into law, you know, a month or two later. Uh, but certainly there's a lot of longevity in, uh, in Congress in particular. So uh, Pachita is a bill that we're still working on. Last year it passed the House of Representatives but did not quite make it across to pass um, in the Senate. Uh, so we're once again uh, introducing it this year. Uh, every all a congressional session lasts two years, I should say. So if a bill does not pass within that two-year session, it has to be reintroduced every single right, month. right. Uh, so Pachita uh, has not been or has not yet been reintroduced, but we expect that it will any single day. So that's always. Um, a big one, again, when we're talking about current legislation with any hospice or, or palliative uh, care legislation. The other one that I just want to mention is the Title VIII Nursing Workforce Reauthorization, which is something that the hospice in palliative care um, community really uh, had been working on very, very hard and was able to get over the finish line, um, actually through one of the larger COVID relief pieces of legislation last year, the CARES Act one of those great, you know, billion trillion dollar uh, pieces of legislation that that uh, passed to help with uh, some COVID relief, we were able to get um, the Title VIII Nursing Workforce Reauthorization, which usually has to be re reauthorized about every 10 years, depending on how it's written. This one was reauthorized through 2024. So we'll have to go in and uh, work on it again after that. But that um, keeps those nursing programs uh, funded. Uh, in workforce development. So those are the are the two big pieces of legislation uh, I wanted to mention. Not not get into the weeds too much because I'm sure everybody you know there's a piece of legislation every single day that probably comes across your email that uh, that you you know could choose to support or not. Thank you, Claire. I wanted to bring attention to for the uh, for our listeners on HPNA's website, advancingexpertcare.org. Uh, there is an advocacy tab across the top, and it's our Advocacy Action Center. So if you're interested in learning more about details of, of other legislative resources and actions that you can take, it's a phenomenal opportunity for you to go in and take an approach to being able to communicate directly with your congressmen and representatives, and it gives you some really good resources. So that's available to you. We'll add that link to our resource page for this particular podcast. And that way you'll have some opportunities to, to delve into that more. There's some really good, great information there. Yeah, Julie, so, thanks for bringing that up. That's something that we try to keep uh, updated as regularly as possible. Uh, the other really great feature about that is it's uh, very user-friendly in that if you want to contact your senator or uh, federal um, U.S. representative, you literally just have to go in and a couple clicks and fill out your name and it'll help you uh, get to the advocacy and specific bills uh, that, that we're hoping uh, to promote uh, through HPNA. And Claire, you know, that might reminds me from, from my personal experience using this particular um, website in the, through HPNA and the Advocacy Center. It's one of the things, when I first did this, uh, God, it was, it was probably 2012, maybe 16. It was so empowering to go in there and look at what we could do and to be able to click, click a link, direct connect to your congressman or your representative 
And then within, you know, a couple of days to get feedback from them, you know, to your email, to you, Julie Tanner, I think if there's ever a point to be able to say the importance of advocacy and taking that, that grassroots approach, this is a really good example of it. So one thing that this has taught me is that you, you can be empowered to have your voice shared and using your voice to positively impact the lives and patients of our patients you know, facing serious illness, that's, that's something that's important for us to do. So thanks, Claire, for kind of giving us the 30,000 foot view of what's going <laughs> on with uh, current legislation, if you ever. Yeah, and, and obviously, there, there's some more legislation we could talk about, not the least of which is, is telehealth, which I know we're working on uh, uh, right now as, as the association of HPNA. But what you just said is kind of also I, I believe, again, why I like my job and love talking about this so much is because it doesn't have to be a specific piece of legislation or if you don't feel comfortable or think that you should get in the ring because you don't you know, know the bill number or whatever, being an advocate is more than just know, knowing you know, specific pieces of legislation because you can advocate for things that you know, your member might not even know about. Um, when I worked on the Hill for uh, Congresswoman Matsui, her biggest piece of legislation was about a, uh, about um, a cruise bill, about cruise ships. And uh, a constituent of hers brought it to her attention. It was something that she had never worked on before, but because a constituent came and brought her and it was somebody who was in her district, that became her signature piece of legislation. And I always tell people, when we before we go in to talk to members of Congress or uh, you know their staff, the biggest thing you have to remember is don't be nervous, don't be intimidated because they it's the most cliche thing in the world that they are truly there working for you. They represent you as a constituent, so you have to go into their office thinking that and realizing that you have a big something to offer them. Uh, in their, you know, great big DC, uh, Washington DC, um, beautiful offices, but you are, you are just important to them as they are to you and you need to get in there and uh, make sure they know you are, um, you are there and what you're doing every day. Be empowered. This is the resources to be empowered. I mean, I think that this kind of takes us to the next brief topic area of looking at advocacy at a national level. So are there anything, anything additional that you'd like to add in, Claire, about what we as nurses and nurse leaders can do to help support advocacy at a national level? Yeah, so I think that it is, first of all, I always like to tell nurses that, and especially hospice and palliative care nurses, that your story and the story that you have to tell when you go in to meet with a member of Congress or their staff is a really, really good story. When you work in a member's office, you hear the amount of meetings you take every day is exhausting. And you hear, you know, everything from the farmers to the engineers to anything you can think of and when a nurse comes and sits down with you you know that's something that's going to be special and you want to hear about the work you're doing uh whether you know it or not uh hospitals and medical centers and and doctor's offices are community um 
areas and in places of gatherings. So they are important to members of Congress and they're going to listen to what you have to say because you are in a hospital or medical setting and they want to know what's happening with you as a nurse and what's happening with your patients. So again, Julie, as you said, you need to use that to feel empowered uh, to kind of tell your story. Uh, like I said, it's so important to not be intimidated and, and it can be something as simple as there's a, um, the US House of Representatives and the Senate has a website, house.gov and senate.gov. And if you go there and you type in your zip code, you can see who your representative is. Reach out to them. Don't be afraid. There'll be an email, a contact name. Make sure they know who you are and that you are in their district. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a congressional meeting and a piece of legislation will come up and we'll say, oh gosh, who did we meet with, you know, last week or a month ago? So, and, you know, can we get their perspective? You know, if, a, if Pachita comes in front of a new member of Congress that they've never heard what Pachita is before, but they remember meeting with a hospice or palliative nurse, they are going to call on you to see what you think about Pachita. Uh, and that's what is so important about getting your, um, getting in front of members of Congress. So whether it be here in Washington, D.C. or in your district, and a lot of time district meetings can be just as powerful, if not more powerful, because you're kind of all on the same playing field that way. So I always say go to house.gov, go to senate.gov, learn who your member is, write to them, introduce yourself, make yourself a resource for them so that, you know, you're not asking them for something right off the bat, but Hi, my name is Julie Tanner. Uh, I live in your district. I just want you to know this is who I am. This is where I work. Um, and this is what I do on a day-to-day on a -day basis. Um, and I'd really like to serve. A lot of members of Congress even have um, you know, their own little health subgroups within their uh, districts. And you, know, you might be invited to serve on something like that if, if uh, the relationship develops in that way. Oh, Claire, that's fantastic. Um sharing that opportunity because it is you know all, all politics stops starts at the local level and that's, politics is local right? that's right we uh and so to be able to again have our voices heard um you know we we have it heard through our patients and our families and through our education but again the, at the end of the day we are advocates nurses are advocates and i I look forward to Jessica telling us uh, a story about her role as advocacy. So uh, y'all hold tight. Jessica's got a great story to tell. So I what about you? It's yeah. sorry to interrupt you. It's important oh. for nurses to realize you're advocates, but you're also, um, you know, we, we all sometimes have trouble seeing outside our bubble. So I'll just tell you as a non-healthcare worker, I can tell you nurses are seen as advocates. You're seen as leaders in, uh, in, some people that people trust, um, you take care of us all. <laughs> you take care of us when we're most vulnerable. Um, so a lot of times, uh, you know, you might not see yourself in that way, but it's important to remember that's how others see you and, and certainly other people in on Capitol Hill. And I think that that's a really great addition to that, that being advocacy. And also we are leaders. And you know, all nurses practice leadership on a daily basis. Uh, it starts with decision-making and it starts with being informed. And, you know, thank you, Claire, for adding that because that is, it is part of who we are. Um, 
So Claire, we've talked about what's going on with current legislation and how we can look at advocacy and our role, both at a national level and how our, how our role as nurses and nurse leaders can impact efforts in Washington, D.C. And nationally, um, what other things do you feel like that we as nurse leaders could contribute? That, that's a loaded question. There are so many things you can contribute. But again, I think it just comes back to being involved and knowing uh, who your members are and, and how to contact them. Uh, even if it's just meeting with staff, members are very busy. So sometimes they'll have you meet with their staff. So you should never feel like you're being pushed off on anyone because uh, that's certainly a great way to start a conversation within a congressional office. Mm -hmm. uh, and so again, I think that it sometimes just comes down to taking that first step to reach out to your members, to your senators and let them know who you are and what you're doing within their uh, districts, within their communities. Once you've taken that step, uh, then we can start to get involved uh, here more nationally with us at Brian Cave or um, with, with HPNA and, and start really digging into some of the nitty gritty of these bills and why they're important. Uh, and, but it has to start with you making that first step to reach out and get involved. That sums it up beautifully, Claire. I mean, it, it's like, we wanna do it. We wanna go there. We just need to have this, this, this push to tell us how to do it. And hopefully, you know, from all of our listeners standpoint, we've gotten some really, really great opportunities to be able to take this and move forward. And, and the other thing I'll say about that is there's strength in numbers. So if you maybe don't feel comfortable getting involved yourself or, maybe want some help, grab a, a friend from work or, or from the association that you, you know, kind of caucus with and do it together, reach out together, go to a meeting together. Again, strengthen numbers and it'll certainly be an even more powerful statement if it comes from uh, one or more. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, we've got Again, at HPNA's website under the advocacy corner, we've got the state ambassador program. That's yes. another opportunity to be able to come together as a group of people. Caucus, as you say, I love to hear or phrased in this in this environment. It's beautiful. Um, and ambassadors together. calls are some of my favorite calls because I get <laughs> to learn so much. Uh, and we always kind of start the calls that way is by saying, just tell me, give me all the information that you all have. And then we've, you know, try to brainstorm ways that we can take that and, uh, and make it useful, um, both locally and nationally for uh, members of Congress. It is, it's a beautiful program. I and mean, it dates back to, I think, June of 2007, I think is when this first started coming around from a board of directors standpoint. And here we are today. And the goal of the program is to, to develop a group of HPNA members that that share this common voice, uh, that that have interest and are willing to look at some, you know, learning opportunities and expertise development and and, and health policy, and it's just an it's just an opportunity again to come together and have a common voice heard that hopefully we can affect change. Um, yeah, and the, and the last thing I want to note too is all politics is local, like we said, but if 
so you're feeling intimidated or, you know, certainly not with the 24 hour news cycle, there's a lot of, um, it seems bigger than all of, than we all mm -hmm. are to, you know, in, in, in getting involved in public policy and advocacy, but take it down a few notches to your individual, you know, state advocates or individual hospitals even, and think about what's important to you and to your patients into your uh, medical systems and go from there. So try not to think of it as this huge, you know, presidential inauguration. This is about community and about um, taking care of patients. That's great. And we wanna thank our, our members and our state ambassadors for their contributions and commitment to helping us advance this. Absolutely. So Claire, we're going to move into phase two of this podcast, which is Jessica. And Jessica, you've had an opportunity to listen about what all is going on, you know, and I know you're involved in it from an advocacy advisory council standpoint. I just, I really love your story. And so I want us to, to get to that. But before we kick into that story, impact story, um, share with us why you see nurse leaders need to, um, become better and, you know, see themselves as advocates? Why do we as nurse leaders need to see ourselves as advocates? No, thank you, Julie, very much. Uh, you know, first I want to thank Claire. I feel like now everything I say is going to tag on to, as Claire just mentioned, because I, it seems we're so much on the same page. And I think the really exciting part of that is, you know, you may hear nurses advocating for nurses, you know, I, talking about you know, how, how nurses are such fierce advocates and you know, really building each other up. But what's really special is when someone who is not a nurse is speaking to the strength of nurses as advocates. So thank you, Claire, for that. Uh, in answering your, your question there about you know, why should we as nurses see ourselves as leaders in advocacy, I think, first of all, even the Institute of Medicine report is really, you know, pushing policy as imperative for nurses. Uh, you know, nurses, in fact, the exact quote is that nurses must see policy as something they can shape rather than something that happens to them. And when you were speaking with Claire, Julie, I, I heard you mention the word empowerment. And I think that's really what this is all about. You know, we as nurses are already advocates. We have a, a particular skill set for advocacy. I think the difference is we don't always as nurses see ourselves as leaders and we don't always as nurses see ourselves as advocates, but we're already there. And collectively, we're the largest you know, sector of the healthcare force. So we have this huge voice and the most meaning with this voice, the most impact is going to come when we work collaboratively. And I think that's what makes it so great you know, with our HPNA efforts, the fact that we partner with HPCC and HPNF is you know we get the we get more bang for our buck basically because of uh -huh. the fact that together we have this huge voice and separately we're a one off, and so I think because of that we we have an ethical obligation as nurses to advocate. You know it's in our code of ethics. It, it's really kind of in the core of who we are. Um, I think it would be tough to show me a nurse who is not already an advocate at the bedside level. So we have this skill set already. 
And what we need to do is take that skill set from the bedside level where we're advocating for our patients all of the time, we're advocating for families, we're advocating for our profession. It's a matter of taking that skill set and then that's you know, really viewing that as the foundation that we're building upon to really be formal advocates there. For nurses where, you know, I, I think this speaks to what Claire was talking about too, when she was saying, you know, nurses take care of people at their most vulnerable times. And in repeated surveys, nurses are the most trusted profession. And a long time ago, someone said something to me that I was thinking of when, when you were talking, Claire. Someone said to me as a brand new bedside nurse when, you know, I don't know about, about you guys earlier in your career, but 25 years ago when I became a nurse, you know, I felt very small at first because I think the first thing you learn when you get out of nursing school or medical school is that as much as you've learned, when you start to practice, you realize how little you know and how much there is still to learn. And one of my mentors at that time, when, and in this particular case, we were talking, you know, bedside advocacy. And I was afraid to speak up about something. And I remember this person clearly looking at me and saying, if not you, then who? And I have carried that phrase through all of my different roles. Anytime that, you know, I felt small or perhaps intimidated to speak up, I've always thought, I've had that little voice in the back of my head. I can still hear it in her voice. If not you, then who? So um, Jessica, that's beautiful. I mean, that, all, that goes to the theme of what we're trying to do. I mean, we say advocacy and action, but maybe it should be, if not you, then who? When it comes to advocating and leadership. It's, that's a beautiful story. Thank you. It's really, it's one that served me well. And I think that, you know, those of us who have been fortunate throughout our careers to have really good mentors, I'm sure many of us have a catchphrase like that, that comes back to us. And in this sense, it, it just happens to be with advocacy. And it's been a, a, a way to then weave advocacy in, you know, with all of my different roles, I've been really blessed in my career to, you know, have a good time, uh, a good amount of time working at the bedside. And then, you know, once you start to move into leadership roles, whether it's an informal leadership role or a formal leadership role, you start to view advocacy slightly different because it's, you know, it's a, a greater role where you're advocating for a team. And then now advocating for populations of people. Absolutely. I mean, going beyond that bedside advocacy to moving it to the, the larger picture. And I really appreciated your analogy about we all have our advocates at heart, you know, with our caring for patients at the bedside. This is one of the things when we have, you know, our, our teaching courses or facilitating learning for certification review preparation Advocacy uh, generally is perceived as advocating at the bedside. And to be able to take that concept and move it to a local, state, national level um, helps, us, helps us all become better leaders. And I really appreciated that analogy on that. Thank you, Jessica. So you mentioned in your, in your um, you've been blessed to have these uh, advocacy roles across your career. So let's talk a little bit about 
advocacy across institutional, which would be your organization, local and state levels. What, what have you seen uh, in that component? How would that affect our listeners? No, absolutely. Thank you. Um, you know, advocacy across institutional levels, and, and I'll, I'll tell you the way I look at it. I, I kind of have a simplified view. I look at it in a, a little P policy versus a big P policy. And so by little P policy, what I usually mean is, you know, advocating at the bedside, advocating within your unit or your department or within your institution. A lot of nursing organizations now you know, in institutions have a shared governance model for practice policy, and that would be considered uh, a little P policy. And then in terms of big P policy, I look at that as kind of our, our formal policy. So that's local legislation, state, national, international, et cetera. And you know, I, I've been really blessed. So like I said, initially, much of my efforts were all in the little P policy piece. And then there's just started being different issues here and there where I had an opportunity to advocate at more of a state and national level. Uh, you know, some of that has been within palliative care and some of that has been within cystic fibrosis, which for those of you who know much about cystic fibrosis, everything we do in cystic fibrosis is palliative. Absolutely. Um, but because, you know, CF is a, a very expensive disease to treat, medications are, you know, sometimes prohibitively expensive then we've had opportunities where, uh, you know, for, for one example, we were having a really difficult time getting an approval or for medications for a patient. And, you know, just kind of were, felt like we were banging our head against the wall, you know, phone call after phone call. This is in the day of facts. So facts after facts in this instance. And I jokingly said, I'm going to fly to Sacramento and I'm going to meet with the legislator and I'm going to get the legislator to go across to the, to the state insurance agency with me. And I said it jokingly and my physician partner at the time, you know, said, let's go for it, let's do it. And we ended up not going there physically, but we ended up contacting our legislator, going to see them here in San Diego. And they went for us. And, you know, within a week or so we had our patient what they needed. So again, that's kind of a blend of a patient advocacy, but at the state level, because this was a state program. And I think that's one thing that, that we as nurses need to start seeing is that, you know, this skill set that I talk about having at the bedside, it translates. You know, when nurses are at the bedside, they've developed communication skills. You know, they, they are able to navigate and, and, you know, really facilitate difficult conversations. Uh, you know, we're analyzing data all of the time. So these are all skill sets, you know, problem solving, networking, um, think about negotiating. I, I always think of at the bedside, you know, someone comes in and says, you know, we're going to do X today. And in pediatrics, you know, I would know maybe the therapy dogs are coming. Okay, uh -huh. let's not do the x-ray at two. Let's do the x-ray at four. You know, that's basic negotiating skills. We all do that as nurses every single day. We just don't necessarily contextualize that at a more formal political, you know, policy level. And we already have these skills to build on. Pet therapy, that just made my heart smile. Um, <laughs> thank you for that, Jessica. How can you not smile? 
without squeezing you, it was something about a dog, right? <laughs> uh, right, exactly. So let's kind of diverge on this path in the woods here. Let's talk a bit about bioethics and healthcare advocacy. So share with me some of your insight on um, that aspect of advocacy, the bioethical component. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, this is one of my, my favorite topics and, and sometimes kind of passionately heated on this. I believe, you know, that part of our core responsibility as nurses, our ethical responsibility is as advocates. I believe it really strongly. I, and if we, you know, if we were to start to pull documents, you're gonna see advocacy woven into the responsibilities of nursing from the code of ethics to um, HPNA to, you know, I mean, really all of these guidance documents. And, and I think if we really kind of back up from the specific of advocacy and we kind of go up broader in that funnel, then what we're really looking at is social justice from a bioethics perspective. And mm -hmm. social justice, um, you know, for those of you who aren't in the ethics language, you'll, you'll recognize what it is as soon as you hear it. It's really related to fairness of treatment and about, about how we provide healthcare to all people. And in this last year with our pandemic with COVID and looking at how COVID has affected different populations differently, then you know we've clearly seen that we have people who are at more we have groups of people who are at more risk than others and so this has been a, a really nice kind of demonstration of social justice or in some cases lack of social justice and so it, oh, go ahead i was just saying heart rendering lack of social justice right exactly and that's one thing i was really proud of our our particular institution is when it was time, you know, to really participate in in COVID vaccinations, our institution uh, made a, I think we called it the the you know mobile vaccine clinic, and we literally purchased like a I can't remember if it was an RV or a bus, but the institution literally purchased a bus to go into the neighborhoods that are less represented and more diverse and bring vaccines to the individuals there. And so I think that's a, a really tangible example at an organizational level of really, you know, addressing social justice. And those efforts were led, you know, by a clinical team, including nurses at our institution. And social justice and advocacy in nursing, it goes back to Florence Nightingale with the birth of nursing. You know, she was advocating for clean air, for um, sanitation, cleanliness, water, for the troops and such, nutrition. Everything she was doing came from a social justice perspective. So there really is this very close relationship between bioethics and advocacy. And for nursing, you know, it, it's an ethical imperative. We, and we need, but we need to take that away from seeing it as just at the bedside and we need to see it larger than that because like i said collectively you know we look from a from a political perspective and you know who holds the power right well nursing is not holding all of the power right now but we are the largest collective voice and so we have a huge opportunity when I look at where we were 25 years ago when I became a nurse and where we are now, we've come so far 
but we have on a continuum a lot farther to go. And that's where, you know, people like Claire and her group, you know, can really help us if we partner and learn from each other. Absolutely, Jessica, that's a great, I mean, that's just a great, great way to frame it. I mean, where we were, where we've been, where we have to go. And, you know, it's forward. We're going to, we've got, we can go forward. And I, I would like to jump in a bit on um, getting some insight from you about your long-term membership representation of HPNA's Advocacy Advisory Council. Kind of take us through a little bit about what the council is and what your contributions have been, because that's another way that we can advance our leadership skills through committee representation. Yes, absolutely. So as you know, I've been on the Advocacy Council for quite some time. And, and as you know, all organizations go, there have been kind of different iterations through the years. And I think we're continuing to improve, you know, just every year it's getting better and better. Uh, some of the efforts that we've participated in, you know, I have to say, I could not have told you exactly how long we've been working on Pachita. I could have told you it's been a very long time. Uh, I think Claire, you said it was 10 years that we've been working on it and, and absolutely. And um, so I've worked on that. We've done initially when we were first rolling it out in the first couple of years, we put together a congressional briefing on Pachita that was in you know, our really grassroots effort when it was still really new and relatively unfamiliar to most of the legislators. Um, one of the other things I did that I don't think we mentioned yet on this podcast, and I, I was really blessed that HPNA sponsored me to attend the nurse in Washington internship or need. Absolutely. Yeah. Jessica, talk more about that. You were yeah. absolutely right. So I, I was super, super blessed to attend that. And, you know, and, and I have to say, I attended that not too long after I had completed my master's in health law, and I had a, a big cohort of training in my master's on advocacy. But I have to say, what I received from the nurse in Washington in internship, that blew it away for what I had had in a whole <laughs> two years master's program. It was so consolidated and condensed and it was just empowering and you know uplifting. I met people from all over the country and you know, we really bridged that gap between nurses as advocates at the bedside level and then stepping that up to formal advocacy and policy. And it was just an incredible experience. And I would encourage you know, any listeners, you, you don't have to be sponsored by an organization in order to attend. It's, it's, an, you know, it's open to many. So I would encourage you to do that. As part of that program, we, you know, we heard from nurses who are in political positions, you know, we had them speak. We heard from other people who've been in advocacy for a really long time, as well as people who were newer. And then we formed groups from our, from our geographical areas and we went around the hill and, and had meetings with people. And one of the, one of the things that struck me is, you know, the whole, if not you, who phrase, that really hit home for me in my first congressional meetings through, through you know, both programs, the nurses in Washington and, and then another trip earlier with my education program. But what really struck me is when you start to meet the legislative assistants or you know, the, this is the person in charge of healthcare and you look and you're thinking, 
oh my gosh, it looks like everyone's 18 years old. And of course they're not, 18, <laughs> but they are very young, very bright, you know, very you know, well-educated, highly motivated young people, which is inspiring. But it also, when you look in the mirror, you start to see, oh, I really am an expert here. I do really have something to share because these young people who are, who are doing absolute great things, I have experience, I have something I can teach them. And same thing with our legislators. Our legislators, they have to know a little about a lot. And we, in our individual fields, you know, we have a much you know, more detailed knowledge base and it's our responsibility as nurses to share that. Another beautiful example Jessica about having you know being in the environment in order to, to put our voices forward right I had I kind of teased our listeners earlier with an impact story on advocacy so what I'd like to do is uh get you to to share with us an advocacy impact story on the important role of nurses as advocates and then from there, we'll go into some closing remarks from Claire and again from you, Jessica, to help get us uh, in the direction that we need to go as a result of this podcast. So let's hear your impact story, Jessica. All right. Sounds great. Um, so what I wanted to do was, you know, a lot of the the stories I've told so far have been at the, the local level, state level. So I wanted to really talk about uh, what I consider one of the, the big wins we had at a federal level for advocacy. And this is, I can't say the exact year because I'm, I'm old and it starts to go back, but it's sometime within the last, say, 10 years this happened, where the Medicare rules around, I mean, I'm sorry, not Medicare, Social Security Disability Criteria for CF had, was changed. So, and this was a period where there was a kind of a sweeping, you know, quite a bit of reform and disability criteria for individuals. And in this case, what happened was a lot of our patients that have CF who had been on disability for quite a long time. And, and one thing I might have to give a little background information just to contextualize a little bit is that even for, for someone with CF, even when they're well, they oftentimes will have four to six hours of therapy a day just to stay well. And when they're ill, that can go up to 18 to 20 plus hours of therapy a day when they're, when they're having an exacerbation and they're ill. So being well with CF is still a very time consuming endeavor. And so for people to you know, have this possibility of losing their, their disability uh, was hugely um, um, scary for them. And that was something where a group of CF nurses across the country had paired together and we did partner. So again, here's where the partnership really helps. We partnered with a foundation there to really advocate for our, our people with CF to, keep, you know, to maintain their disability status. And that was something where we felt like an ant standing at the base of a mountain. It felt like, how are we ever going to make any headway with, with federal social security? How is that going to happen? And it ended up that we were listened to, 
And although the, the, the changes themselves, you know, there weren't formal changes that said, oh, the criteria will change, but the application, and this is where, you know, advocacy happens on different levels. It's not always about what does the legislation say, it's how is it applied and the regulatory piece. And so we were able collectively with a lot of help from our national group as well, we were able collectively to have the application of that done in such a way that our people with CF were able to keep their, or at least most of them were able to keep their disability payments and thus maintain their treatments. And so that's one of the, the larger scale efforts that was probably the most intimidating. And the solution we sought was not the solution we ended up with, but the result was. So Jessica, what a remarkable story to put on your portfolio. <laughs> that's uh, wow. And CF patient, our patients with CF, and, families that are caring for, for people with CF. It's just, it's, it's an amazing thing that you did. Thank you. Thank you for, wow, that's an impressive impact story. You might've won the award on that one. Well, that was very much a collective effort. And, <laughs> you know, like I said, a partnership with national and local foundations as well. Absolutely. And to have their, you know, their expertise, their wisdom, their outreach um, is another, you know, that that co local caucusing, as you had said earlier. Exactly. Yeah, this 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 was definitely not a Jessica success story. This, this <laughs> was a collective success story for sure. It's but I a think beautiful it goes, one. You know, a lot of times we think I think I think sometimes we think of pol being political as, you know, political as an adjective describing you being political. Sometimes we think of it as a negative, but it's actually not a negative. It's an essential strategy in nursing. We, you know, it's all about being goal oriented and then, you know, having, having a plan, you know, really identifying what are the needs, uh, really talking with different stakeholders, talking, you know, sometimes we think of, uh, I, I like the phrase strange bedfellows where, you know, you think of who are the most likely um, adversaries for what you're uh -huh. for. And then is there common ground there to find? Because if you come together with someone who is a, who would be thought of as an adversary for something and you find common gap ground and can advocate together, that can be a really, really powerful thing. Absolutely. So Jess, this is kind of the last question for, for your, for this area of the nurse and the clinical nurse and the nurse leader's role in advocacy and action. What is your vision for future nurse leaders and their role as advocates? What would you like to see happen? Well, first I'd like everybody to adopt the, if not you, who phrase. <laughs> I think that's a, a great start, but you know, I, I think that what we need to do as leaders, again, whether we are an informal leader, because we all know that there are leaders on our teams who don't have a title, but they are absolutely leaders. And we as leaders, whether informal or formal, we need to promote advocacy as an essential skill for nurses. And we need to build up the people that we work with or and even the people that we work for, 
We need to, to build each other up to begin to bridge this gap and see ourselves as advocates. I think we need to, I, you know, first we need to identify that this is our role, this is who we are, because if we don't see ourselves in this role, then we can't be fully effective in this role. And I think as leaders, that's the first thing we need to do. And we need to, you know, be careful of how do we phrase things? You know, are we, whether it's in a team meeting or a big board meeting or a meeting with the legislature, our, our legislator, are we phrasing things in a way that they happen to us? Or are we constantly having that active phrasing where we can empower change? So these things may be happening, but how, what can we do about it? Where is our action? And I think if we really focus as leaders on maintaining the empowerment piece and maintaining you know, our policy and our advocacy, advocacy work as a process, as an active endeavor and something that's ongoing taking years, I think we'll go far. And I, I can see nursing in the future having an even stronger and more powerful voice. Well, Jessica, your vision uh, for the future of nursing leadership advocacy is one that listening to you say this and it, I, I, I can embrace it. I would embrace it. You know, that, that empowerment that we talked about, the ability to come together as one voice, um, to see ourselves as advocates. And if not you, who? That might have to be our, we might have to addendum our own. Um, our title. I think that may become our theme. So Jessica, thank you for that, that kind of overview and the details and sharing that impact story was just beautiful. I'd like to take it back to Claire. So Claire, what do you see? No, that is too intimidating to go after Jessica. That was, that was very well done. I'm like ready to go up to the hill right now to, to, to do some serious work with her. <laughs> Let's talk about inspiring, wasn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I know. Thank you, Jessica. It was really beautiful. So Claire, what do you see that we could do future for palliative nursing leadership advocacy? What would you like to see happen for us, for us to do? If not us, then who? I would like to see everybody kind of take uh, Jessica's words and examples and, and, and start to um, take some ownership and, and make them their own. I thought the, the most interesting uh, idea of her many interesting ideas was that nurses have these skill sets they use every single day uh, at the bedside, at, within their own um, medical and healthcare communities. Take that and that empowerment and what you do every day and you do it so, so well and bring that to a policy and uh, advocacy setting and, and, and see what you can do because I think that, that you will all really, really surprise yourselves. Thank you, Claire. That's, that's, I mean, very well said. I mean, we do have the potential in each of us to surprise ourselves and to find that passion, to ignite that passion. Um, and and Sorry. we need the leadership. We need y'all's leadership, the Absolutely. leadership from, from, you know, your experience to help us kind of guide us in that path uh, and give us confidence to be able to do it. That's another thing that I think that we really can benefit from looking at the resources and 
I think so thank you, Mayor. Pointing out to something again that Jessica said, talking about uh, politics versus being political. And that you can go to, you know, house.gov or learn who your local member is, who you, you know, hopefully everyone's out there voting, which is the, the least common denominator that we all can do as, uh, as, as citizens in empowering oneself. But um, you can look at your member and think, well, I, I really dislike that person. I don't like what they're doing in the healthcare space. I don't like what they're doing in the energy or climate space. I don't want to work with them. But that, that's, a, that's a, unfortunately a, a short-sighted way to look at things because no matter what political party you are or, uh, or, or, or who you, um, you know, choose to support uh, election-wise, the, these people are still representing you as a constituent. And, you know, if you go into your hospital or, or medical facility every day and say, well, I don't want to work with that person that, you know, they, they don't do the X, Y, Z, you wouldn't get very far. So, so similarly in the advocacy space, you have to be willing to work with those who may not share the same uh, perspective that you do, but you need to be willing to frame your uh, perspective in a way that that would be helpful for them. Uh, just a quick story. I'm, I'm working on a piece of legislation now with a group and the two main sponsors on the Senate side are Kirsten Gillibrand, a Congresswoman Democrat from New York and Tom Cotton, a uh, Republican from the South. And I think you might uh, find hard pressed to find them working on any pieces that many pieces of legislation together but right now they are doing everything they can and their staffs are teaming together to work on a bill to help transplant patients uh, so you just like jessica said politics makes some very strange bedfellows and and so you just have to be willing to go in and, and work with people and um and especially people who might not uh share your point of view on everything Absolutely, Claire, and your your guidance again in helping us navigate that arena, navigate that path, you know, is is something that we all can benefit as part of our as our collective advocacy efforts. Well, y'all, I cannot tell you this has been a fantastic podcast. I have learned an immense amount of how not only I can advance my advocacy skills, but seeing the opportunities with our listeners and you know, just sharing your expertise and your stories has helped put a, you know, put this in a life that I think people will be able to take it and, and do something with it. And that was our intent was to help to advance palliative nursing and hospice leadership and advocacy. And y'all have just done a remarkable job in giving, giving our, our listeners this information. And I want to share with everyone, uh, we will have a landing page for this podcast, which can be reach through advancingexpertcare.org. Uh, we will have resources that both Jessica and Claire have um, offered to put forward. And we also will have some links to help you if you want to look and take this information and do some continual learning down the road. We'll give you some, some resources for that. And at the end of the day, if we take our inherent advocacy from the bedside and who we are as nurses and who we are as leaders, and uh, take that and put it together with the powerful voice that we have overall with nursing. I don't think that there's a lot of things that we can't get done. So thank you both so much for joining us today for HPNA's podcast corner. And this will conclude our presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.